I absolutely hate the cold. I'm Mexican, and we are a warm weather people, and so whenever the temperature gets below 60 degrees, I shut down. Um, I need to start putting on blankets. I need to do everything that I can to get my temperature back up because I my body doesn't deal with that very well. I suppose that's the reason why, even though we've talked about moving to Alaska, we really have. Uh, I know that that's a non-starter only because there's a good chunk of the year where that part of the planet is under, you know, it's under ice and I just won't deal with it. I could for vacations and I have for vacations, but I can't do it past a week or two. I know that I would freeze. I probably wouldn't freeze. I would probably acclimate and figure it out, but I'm kind of getting to that age where I like what I like and, and I know that it would take me a long time to get to the point of comfort. But anyways, I hate the cold. That's my point. And the reason why I tell you that is because I'm remembering a particularly cold night uh, where I felt that the chill was particularly mean. Now, let me go back a couple of hours before I started to feel this chill. My girlfriend and I at the time had gotten into the worst fight, if not the biggest fight of our relationship at that point. What was coming to a head was a number of things, and things haven't been, hadn't been right with us for a long, long time. I was a 20-year-old something with relatively new money, uh, and being somebody that lived without a lot of means when I was growing up, my parents weren't very well off. They weren't well off at all. We were poor. Uh, it's all relative, but we were poor as far as I could see it. There weren't a lot of things that I could just go out there and get. And so the moment that I got a little career going and a little got a little money in my wallet, I would I I wanted to acquire things and buy things and enjoy things and pay for things because I could. I had this need to acquire and to show off. And that was an expensive little habit. But then again, it was just all to myself. I didn't have to worry about kids. I didn't have to worry about a mortgage. Yes, we had rent, but we were splitting it, so it wasn't much. And so it was easy to spend it on booze and nights out and food, you know, and, and restaurants. It just blow it on all the silly things that 20-year-olds something care about. At least I, as a silly 20-year-old, thought cared about. Clothes were a big deal. I couldn't wear something off of, you know, a Ross. I, it had to be from a specific store and it had to look quite right and it had to be fitted just the right way and I was sitting at a customer service office for eight hours but I wanted to make sure that I looked right because again back then I was working in the west part of LA which you have to have a certain image to walk about the streets or so I thought and so I was spending a great deal of my resources earned resources on what I would now consider frivolous things, but back then they were so important to me. And a lot of it also was spent on alcohol. I've talked about this before on on the show that I, one of my you know poisons is that I enjoy uh, my wine too much, and and especially the vodkas and the tequilas and the gins and the whole bit. I've always enjoyed them, even sometimes to my own detriment. I have taxed my body. Uh, over the years and it's something that I'm constantly dealing with and it's 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 a thing but when you're 
other half is coming home from her own work, from her own struggles, for it, her own challenges as a 20-year-old something, and you come home to your guy who has been drinking for a while and who now wants to go out and drink some more or who's going to or calls you and tells you, hey, I'm going to be hanging out with some people and I'll drive home afterwards. I know she worried, but I don't think I cared enough. So she would come home and I had already been drinking or I would get home after a long drive and I'd already been drinking and she would not care for that person that walked through the door or who was already there. And so we would have these skirmishes. And she would tell me what it is that she didn't like. And I promised that I would do better next time. And then we would, you know, fall asleep. Um, but we never resolved it. We never, you know, figured out a happy medium. It was always left out in the open as this little just thread out there that we just couldn't seem to tie it up. But what I didn't realize is because it was a loose uh, thread, it was untying the seams that were that had originally brought us together. Trust, care, love, all of that gets unraveled when you have this one thing that you, you, you guys can't put to bed together. The other thing that I think was an issue was the fact that I wanted her to be something different than she has always been just from the standpoint of um, for me putting a persona out there that didn't truly exist see I wanted to be like the kids on TV the people on TV glamorous fit white <laughs> I wanted to uh, emulate the lifestyles that I saw on the television that were obviously not real, but to me certainly weren't because I take a lot of my cues from popular culture. Um, I knew that in order to reach the ideal, I had to, you know, be the 90210 guy, you know, and I had to have the perfect hair and wear the perfect clothes and buy from the perfect brands and go to the right places. And I was spending a lot of resources to do that. My other half, on the other hand, has always been frugal, and not from the standpoint of being cheap, but from the standpoint of making smarter decisions and spreading out her monies. Now, both her parents and, and mine were not opulent people, not anywhere close. They, they, both of our families have been relatively middle class. Maybe mine was more lower middle class, but they were middle class, and they always has to, they had to stretch dollars. But for me, for whatever reason, maybe it's the boy thing or it's a machismo thing, whatever you want to call it, the moment that I could start spending, I wanted to spend it all and, and puff my chest out and show the world, look at everything that I have. And my other half is not like that. My girlfriend at the time was, you know, didn't need to put on airs. She was a very simple person. And to, to be honest with you, that is what attracted me to her. But I, this incoming, in, you know, this income that I had uh, that, that were starting to develop, was turning me into this Hyde type of personality, which was a bad one, Jekyll or Hyde, I forget. But I was turning into the bad part where um, acquiring things was more important than fostering the relationship that she and I had. I was leaving her behind, but not leaving her behind because there was something better. I was leaving her behind because of appearances. And every single time that I pushed her to join me, she resisted because that's not who 
that's not who she is and will never be. I'll give, I'll give you an example because it, it's abstract right now. I always wanted her to dress skimpy. Shorter skirts, tinier bikinis, halter tops. Again, I felt that her visual persona was a testament of me. She validated me somehow. And so the more provocative that she dressed, the, the more manly I was. <laughs> As I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, that sounds awful. And it's not something that I would want now. But that's who 20-year-old Hugo was. And the more that I pushed her to show off or to go to places that she didn't want to, the more she resisted in, you know, again, in un- another unresolved threat, something that we just could not come to a head. I was changing into something, and she was resolute in who she is, was, is, and, and, and we just could not come to a head. Something had to give. So on this one evening, I don't know, four, five, six o'clock, I don't remember it exactly. All I know is that either she came home or I came home, and either some, you know, and something had been forgotten, or some, or I had, you know, not done dishes, or I had promised to do something and I completely didn't do it, or I was stumbling over my words, and the fight started. And it's it was always, you know, the way I remember it was probably over something relatively simple, but of course it's just an underlying um, thing that eventually is going to erupt into uh, ironing out of all issues. Nothing must go. Everything everything must go. We're going to hash it out, and we're going to hash it out for hours, and it's going to be ugly and intense. And I wasn't prepared for the fight ahead because we've had arguments before, and again, because we have left things unresolved, I just figured, well, We'll go to bed and she'll be angry and I'll be angry at her, but I know that I'm probably in the wrong, so I'll make it up to her later and I'm cute enough to be able to get past this. But this was her line in the sand and I didn't know it. And so therefore I wasn't prepared for the argument to come. And it probably wasn't an argument that I was ever meant to win because I had at that point the debate and switch on her. I had told her I was one guy and without ever consulting her, I had turned into another. And uh, and that's not what she signed up for. So I think she was in the right. And that's not me being an apologist. I am uh, I am who I am. And in, in in a lot of ways, I continue to find things about myself. And, and, and but what I've realized in in these later years is that as I find things about myself, I let her know. I have a conversation about what I'm finding out. I whether I falter or whether I succeed, she is deeply involved in the conversation. And as a matter of fact, she can be, she's often counsel. I can't tell you how many times during the course of my career or my own personal development or my writing or my adventures into anything, I have asked her to look things over and give me her advice. Even if it's painful, even if it's hurtful to me as somebody who wears his heart on his sleeves and who's so who doesn't handle criticism very well, I will always hear her out because she's a great steward in that way. So, 
but I didn't used to do that back then. Anyways, as the uh, time went by, I realized more and more that there was nothing that I could say. There was no explanation. There was no um, plan ahead that I could, you know, show her that would you know, indicate to her that I was ready to make a, a real change towards something that she could live with peacefully. I was entrenched in this lifestyle that I thought I needed. And I really did think I needed it. Even though it was hurting me, I thought, but I have to have this because I have an ideal that I want to reach to. So, time went by, time went by, things, you know, and, and we just weren't figuring out. And again, this is the strength of her character is the fact that she called it first. She said, maybe we're just not meant to be. Maybe who you're changing to is just too different from what I want. And uh, again, I, you know, this is now a decade plus, you know, that time. But I think I sat there with righteous indignation and thought, well, I don't need you either. Or you're just not good enough for what I want. You don't fit the goals that I want. But see, here's the amazing part about our relationship is that uh, I've always known that she is the smarter person, the more the more practical person. I don't take anything away from myself. But I know that oftentimes, nine times out of ten, her counsel is so good that if I choose to, choice, that if I choose to go against it, I am probably going to cock it up. Whatever endeavor. Her counsel is that good. It's that precise. It's that practical. Now you could say, uh, well, what do you bring to the table, guy? Um, I will tell you, well, this is not about me, and, and I'm already 15 minutes into this bloody thing, and, and, and you, you want to get to the point of why, why the cold. Um, so anyways, yeah, I was, I agreed and said, yeah, this is not working. And it's not working because of you. Your, your, your aspirations are, or your priorities are wrong. Something to that effect. And I guess we had that moment where two people, intelligent and young, and who love one another, truly. Because I don't think I've ever loved her any less. I mean, my love for her has been constant. Um, we decided that it was time for us to take a break. I guess we, we didn't break up because we had financial obligations. Again, this is her, her, the practical part. Well, we still have an apartment and a lease that we, that, we, that we have together. And we have a dog. No, we, I'm sorry. We had an Iwana who was our child. 
we had things that we had purchased together. I mean, it wasn't just a simple dissolution. It wasn't a marriage. It wasn't a mortgage. But we had things that we had collected. We had started to build things outside of my. We had started to build things for ourselves, and now we were talking about the dissolution of us. But there were the real material things that needed to be dealt with. And so let's take a break. Let's see if this is really what we mean. And so I packed a bunch of things into an old duffel bag, a bag that I'm looking at right now because it's since then taken us on count, you know, it's been with us on countless trips in and out of the state. But I packed stuff in there, I threw it in my old car, and I drove. And I drove to the only place that I knew would take me at that late hour, and that is a friend of mine's apartment out in Santa Monica. Um, Unfortunately, he wasn't there that weekend, and after an hour and a half drive from where we lived in our apartment to, you know, the, to the beach cities, uh, and him being a party animal, somebody who probably was not the best influence in life, uh, I found that he wasn't there, and so I decided, uh, you know, with bloodshot eyes and just tired, you know, long drive, two, three in the morning, haven't really eaten much, I probably still have a little bit of a hangover from the uh, whiskey, the uh, hours earlier, I decided, well, I better just sleep in the car. I'll just put my head down and I'll sleep in the car. So I climbed onto the biax seat and turned off the, uh, turned off the ignition, uh, the engine and started to go down. But here's the crazy part. I'm a creature of comfort and of habit. And falling asleep in the back seat of a car is not, in a fetal position, is not the most comfortable thing. And then, then the cold started to creep in. It started to hit, you know, my elbows and my knees. And I brought them in closer and closer to try to conserve energy. But there was, it was getting colder. The fog started to come in. Uh, it started to make diffuse the lights of the uh, of the you know light night lamps out outside. You could hear the ocean in, in the background, and all of that made the cold push closer and closer and closer onto me. And I felt it like the opposite of a blanket, just chilling my bones and freezing my limbs making my mouth start to chatter. And although it was relatively dark, I felt like I could see the uh, breath coming out of my mouth. And in that moment of cold, I started to think, what do I want in life? What, What is the end game to the decisions that I'm making now. I am 20-something years old. I Again, I don't know the ex- my exact age. I know that I was in my early 20s. But you have these moments of sobering where you think, what's the next step? And is whatever I'm doing worth reaching whatever your goal is? You reassess, you reaffirm. And some... Might say, well, you know, you have goals, right? But my goals were never really that exact. It was what to live at Melrose Place. The the people there didn't really have the best lives. 
you know, and they were fictional. So what is it that I really want? What do I, where, 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 where do I end up? And actually, where have I ended up? Look at me. Money-wise, it's not like I'm making bank. I'm doing okay. I'm a customer service rep at some company, and there's been talk of layoffs. And I had a perfectly wonderful apartment with a nice bed and a nice blankets, and now I'm sleeping in a car. And I have, or maybe not anymore, have a girlfriend who loves me and takes care of me and who I absolutely look forward to coming home to each and every time when I can remember. And her family is wonderful and they've always welcomed me in spite of my flaws. And when I come across other people and over the course of, you know, hanging out and, 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 and they flirt and and, and, and they make it known that there's some interest in there, I have no interest. Because I care about the person that's, you know, waiting for me back at home. And, you know, she may not dress 100% the way that I would like, but she's cute as a button. What am I doing? What? So you do this scale thing, right? And uh, uh, I'm not a big pros and cons, but I guess a scale is exactly what that is. And so I started to stack things up on the scale and you come to realize at one point, three, four in the morning in with the cold, you know, attacking you. And you see that you've been stacking your chips on the wrong side of the scale and you are this close you're this close to losing something wonderful at the uh, for the sake of something frivolous. Here's the crazy part. Wonderful, Hugo. You've had that realization. Now you know that you're on the wrong course. It's time to self-correct. And you go and you, and you, and you let them person know and you make assurances but you made assurances before right so but you you say no 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 you're going to go back and say I've had this epiphany and and I thought about it but all that person has to say is well you slept in the cold you didn't like it so now you're coming back that's not out of love that's out of convenience you don't like to be you know you, you know you don't like to be chill so but outside of that I also, there's that whole component that it's not up to you. Not completely. You've come to realize things. But that person doesn't have to take you back. Maybe you've crossed the line that you can't re- you know, return back to from. That's the crazy part about making lines in the sand is that they can't necessarily always be wiped away with, you know, a a flip of the wrist. Sometimes those lines are temporary, I mean, are permanent. It took a couple of days for me to really think about everything, take 
assess and cry at work and cry after work, cry in the bathroom, cry in my car. Just, it was starting to reassess, I mean, sorry, <laughs> crazy how you think, start, you know, you think you have the right words, but, and, and, and you think, well, after all these years, uh, I've dealt with it all, and, and, and I put it behind me, but that was a painful time of life for me. The point is that I did start, you know, re resolve to make some changes. But like I said earlier, oftentimes it's not what you do, I mean, not what you say, but it's showing the, the other person what you are doing. And that doesn't happen over a day or two or ten, nine months, twelve months. Sometimes it may take a while, and even after that, you're not guaranteed ever to earn that trust that you squandered away. Now, I got lucky. Spoiler alert, she and I ended up together, and here we are, and, and I've fucked up since then, I, and I'm not a perfect husband, I've always said this, and, and you know, these are my mea culpa moments, I guess. But the climb back, to us being a couple again was it was a journey that we took together it was something where we had to talk to one another and take stock of what it is that we that we had and then commit to certain changes it was weird after and fast forwarding over a lot obviously but it was weird coming back to our apartment after uh, several weeks of disarray in that first night back to sharing a bed together not in any not in an intimate way yes just to lay down with that person after a terrible set of days and think we're going to sleep together and we're going to wake up tomorrow, and we're going to be a pair. And we're going to trust one another, and we're going to give the other, the other person an opportunity to, do, to make changes. And every single day will be an experiment in us. Nothing is guaranteed. And in six months, we could be together, or in six months, we could be apart. Who the heck knows? We ended up all right. At least so far. Hey, we've been together for about 20 years now. I was watching The Darkest Hour. <laughs> Weird segue. Uh, just yesterday. And I was looking at the way that Churchill is portrayed in this film. And looking at the, particularly in the relationship he had with his wife. At least, again, the way that it's portrayed in the film. Also, those moments of self-doubt, sitting in a bunker with the whole world and everybody else against you, with people plotting to take over for you, with men's and women's life in the balance, with um, your ideals being questioned. 
and having enough sense to shift and make changes and to think of answers and, uh, and everything that goes into being a good leader. I don't know what Winston Churchill in real life ever went through. But I had a feeling that at one point in his life he felt a certain cold, whether real or just in the mind. A cold that was trying him and was challenging him and it was pushing him. And somehow he had to take stock, assess, and then enact. And none of us, many of us, most of us, will never have to deal with the, mon the monumental challenges that a Winston Churchill or any of the great women and men of history have had to deal with. But we all have our darkest hours. We all have those moments of the chill encroaching upon our every molecule and having to come out of there better. I think that night and a few others afterwards, those have been my darkest hours. Peace.